So I'll tell you a funny story then to start off with. So, um, like I said, I'm used to embarrassing myself. So this holiday, as a fa- <laughs> stop laughing. It's my wife. She's killing herself already. So this holiday, we go off to Kruger. And uh, on the way home, uh, we've been driving now from KZN, Durban. We've been driving for like, flip, I don't know, 10, 11 hours. No, no, no. Sorry, I lie. It was the day that I made a wrong turn as well, but I won't tell you about that story now. I was being a classic man and telling everyone I knew I was going and went the wrong way. But we've been driving for about 12 hours. The whole day I'd had my sunglasses on because they were so my looking glasses. And uh, we pulled into St. Mark's in the evening to Shelley Beach. And freaking out, I was moaning. I was like, guys, it's pitch dark outside. Something's gone wrong. My car lights aren't working. Something's wrong. And these oaks don't even like say to me, no, the lights are fine. It's working fine. They're just like, all like, oh, what's wrong with dad? What's wrong with my husband? Anyway, we pull into Shelly Center only for me to go, oh, guys, um, I'm wearing my sunglasses. Everything is okay. So that is me. I have fun with myself, but it's all good. So, um, I need to just compose myself. myself. I am feeling very nervous about tonight's message. Don't know why. But um, this is pray. So, Father, I just thank you for your, you know, just for the fact that you love each one of us so, so, so much, Father. You paid the full price that we may have life and life in you. And Father, I just pray tonight that you would speak through me, that you'd speak life, that you'd speak your kingdom purpose. And I pray that our hearts would be open to all that you want to do in and through us, Father God, as we invite your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Bless you, in Jesus' name, amen. So... If you guys don't, don't, don't put it up on the screen, Esther, I'm just going to read it. But so if you guys don't have your Bibles, then just maybe listen to these sort of uh, four, five scriptures that I want to open with, um, and then we'll move on from there. And you can pick up my list on the left, Esther, after that. So Matthew 12, 22 and 23 uh, reads like this. Um, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? And then if you just flip right with me to Mark 4, verse 39, Mark 4, 39 reads like this. Um, He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And that was in context of Jesus and the disciples on the boat, when they thought that the storm was going to overwhelm them, and Jesus was having a nice dose. <clears throat> and then Luke 7, verses 11 to 17, reads like this. Soon afterward, Jesus went down to a town called Naam, um, And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. 
When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched uh, the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And then in John chapter 5, verses 6 to 9. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Four examples of different kingdom power in action. The first one, Jesus demonstrating his power over the demonic and Satan. And the second one, Jesus demonstrating his power over nature. And the third one, Jesus demonstrating his power over sickness and illness. In the whoops, sorry, third one was over death. Fourth one was over illness and sickness. And then, just for this opening section, I want to land on Matthew six ten, which is um, comes out of the, the the Lord's prayer. And Matthew six ten reads like this: Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Okay. So, one of the first things that, um, um, that I really uh, appreciated, um, in fact, relished, when I joined the vineyard uh, way back in 1995, <clears throat> um, besides it just being real, like, home for me, uh, one of the things I was most impacted by and most impressed by was the demonstration, as one would call it, of the kingdom of God, and 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 seeing people uh, being healed, seeing the demons being cast out and flee, seeing the sick being healed, seeing people come to Jesus. Um, I've prayed for a dead, few dead people, but unfortunately, I haven't seen one rise yet. But maybe one day in my lifetime, I'll have the faith to see that happen, or God's. Uh, uh, would choose to use me in that way. But these were things that really blew me away. And I think what was really impressive was it was obviously done in a very natural, normal setting. No harp, no um, uh, manipulation. It just happened naturally. Oh, are you sick? Let me pray for you. <laughs> Healed. Oh, you got a short leg. Let's pray for you. <laughs> leg. Um, Oh, I've got a word. Let me give it to you. Tears. Uh, just amazing things happening. And um, this really drew me to the vineyard. Well, one of the things that drew me to the vineyard, is, as well as the fact that the vineyard was very open, um, uh, generalistically, to all other churches. We, we weren't, like, exclusive and we weren't the church, but that we were very open to engaging and, and relating with other churches because um, it's about God's kingdom not about us as individuals or about us as individual churches. Um, so we've been talking and we've been working on a series around values. 
and the value that um, I want to share with us tonight, which has been something that God's really been stirring in my heart and something I've been really wrestling with for a long time. Um, and that's the this, this subject of the kingdom of God. Um, and it's not just one of our values, it's probably one of our core values, but it's also one of our foundational theologies of the vineyard. Um, and I want to unpack a little bit of that tonight with us. And yeah, for me, I think it's, it's something that's really timely in the sense that, um, let's be honest, the world is in a mess. And uh, if we were here this morning and listened to Africa's message, uh, South Africa's in a mess. Um, I love this country, don't get me wrong. I'm passionate about this country. But something needs to change. And that something that needs to change involves every single one of us. Because every single one of us has a kingdom mandate. And it's something I think that we as Christians shy away from. And it's something I think that we as a church, not necessarily Fountain, but as a church, Big C Church, have failed to get right. And that's because we haven't discipled each other well in the ways of Jesus. So as I go through tonight, just keep in mind those four scriptures that I shared with you and in the fifth one about inviting God's kingdom. So <clears throat> what are we talking about in terms of the kingdom of God? So those who've been around the vineyard for a while might know this stuff. Those who haven't or from other churches might know it. Some of you may not. So I just want to go through it a little bit. And then I want to work out what that application is for us in our lives. So the kingdom is primarily, primarily, I need to go back to school, but anyway. The kingdom is primarily an assertion of God's divine power in action establishing his rule and reign on earth through Jesus and in the hearts and actions of his people. Not exclusively through Jesus. Through Jesus, initially, and now, through us. So Mark 1, 15, Esther, if you don't mind just popping that up. So when Jesus arrived on the scene, uh, one of the things that he shared was in Mark 1, 15, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then in Matthew 5, 1 to 10, please, Esther, I'm not going to read through the whole thing. But Matthew 5, 1 to 10 is, is pretty much the Beatitudes. Um, and it's a passage from the Bible that records the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount. Um, and it's one of Jesus' famous teachings. Uh, and in this passage, Jesus pronounces blessings on different groups of people who are in a humble or needy condition um, as it's positioned. Um, the blessings are also known as the supreme happiness, uh, as the, uh, the word Beatitudes is translated. And Jesus teaches that those who are poor in spirit, poor in spirit meaning we acknowledge that we can't do this by ourselves and we need Jesus, okay? that we are mournful, we are meek, hungry, for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and persecuted, which um, results in certain rewards. If you look at verse 3 and 10, sorry, Esther, um, the, the opening and closing of that passage has a direct reference to the kingdom of heaven. So in verse 3, we see there, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And Esther, if you don't mind, just jumping down to verse 10. And I can read that as well. And then, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, Reference to the kingdom of heaven a number of times there. And for me, I don't want to get into this particular scriptural passage tonight, but there are points there, and, and, and those uh, three, seven scriptures have reference to how we can live life as Christians as well. And if you get a chance, I encourage you to go and look at that. It's a, it's a, it's a pointing to Jesus and a response from Jesus as to how we can respond to him. But this is where I really want to come in and focus on. And if we can go to Matthew 10, 7, please, Esther. And then after that, we're going to go to Luke um, verse 10, verse 1. So, as you go, so this is Jesus talking to his disciples. As you go, proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This is challenging for me, guys. How much have I received? I mean, Africa just put it so well this morning about how much we've received from God and the cost that he made for us. How much more willing should we be to give what we've received, to give it away? Okay? And then the next one, after the Lord appointed the 72, uh, um, 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. Go, I'm sending you out like lamb among wolves. Do not take purse bags, sandals, and do not, get, uh, do not greet anyone on the road. But two clear instructions for us as Christians, and we'll circle right back to, obviously, Jesus' last instruction to us before he ascended into heaven, and I'll do that later. But two clear instructions for us to be going into the world, to be advancing God's kingdom. So this kingdom that we're talking about, it's a dynamic rule and reign. It's the presence of the future, uh, George Ladd. Um, it's an already and not yet kingdom. It's both in the present and the future tense. When Jesus returns and we all go to heaven, what's the promise of us all going to heaven? There'll be no more? Come, speak it up. No more crying. Okay, no more crying, no more sickness, no more death, no more sadness, etc., etc. Okay, and if you want to check that out, you can go to Revelations 21.4. It's our future hope. Okay? Yeah? Who's excited about that? Yikes are lame, man. Come on. <laughs> hey? Woo! Okay, awesome. I mean, you guys have more passion for Easter camp and going to Enchley than anything else. Come on, guys. Come with me. You with me, hey? Teens? We're good. Okay. Old folks got more energy than you, actually. Okay. So, so Jesus has come, and he has set up this kingdom, and he's ushering in a future into the present. The promise of the future in heaven, Jesus brings into the present. He brings us peace. He brings us hope. He brings us healing, delivers us from sickness, so on, so on, so on. And so it's expression of Christ as his rule and reign over his people and over the world. Okay? The establishment of God's rule and reign is about his proclamation. Okay? So the word, the kingdom has come. But it's also about the demonstration 
of the kingdom. Okay, he actually speaks to the storm. Be still, and the storm still. Be healed, and someone's healed. Demon, get out of here. Demon's gone. Dead person, get up and walk. Okay, he doesn't just talk about it. He does it. Okay. So, obviously, as a result of this, we have a clash of kingdoms, and we have a spiritual battle going on. Okay, Satan is dominion over the earth. That's in the scriptures. If you're not sure about that or don't believe it, Satan's been given dominion over the earth in Ephesians 2.2. 2. And Jesus comes in direct conflict to that as the Son of God who has authority over heaven and earth. Okay, Jesus has authority over heaven and earth, even though Jesus is, mm, Satan has dominion here on earth. Okay, So my question to us, myself included, is where have we positioned ourselves in this battle? And what are the ramifications thereof? Okay? And I don't want to get into a whole lot of heavies, but I just want to unpack some stuff with us very briefly um, and then press on, because I believe it's very contextual to, to where we're at and what we're doing. So if we go to Matthew 12, verse 30 to 33, we read there, uh, let me just find it. This is Jesus speaking, Okay? Um, and it's just after he has um, brought freedom to the demonic man and everyone, okay, not everyone, the Pharisees and Sadducees are all up in arms, okay? He is not with me, is against me. And he who does not gather me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. That scripture freaks me out. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For the tree is recognized by its fruit. Okay, so we live in this context. We live in this tension of God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. And we can either accept Jesus or we can reject Jesus. Both have consequences for our lives. And then we've got the scripture, Mark 1, 15, which talks about the whole thing that we need to repent, believe in the good news. Okay? So repent, turning away from our old selves, our old sin, and believe. Therefore, we're a child of God, if that is our position in Jesus, and we are saved in Christ. The next question could be a bit controversial or dodgy, but we'll go with it anyway for sake of illustration and where I want to go with what I want to share. And the next question is, is our Savior and our King also our Lord? We've all been saved. We've all received Jesus. We're all going to heaven. How much do we appropriate him as Lord? And, and you'll get the context of that. I don't want to get, like I said, it's not a big heavy, but... What's the context of that in terms of us positioning ourselves in this kingdom and serving God and doing the stuff that he's called us to? So Acts 1, verse 6 to 8. Let's just shoot across there. We're still going right. Um, have you got it up for me, Esther? Let me put my glasses on. <laughs> yes. Um, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Keep going. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his authority. Pay attention. But you, me, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay. So in this battle, where are we positioned? God has given us power and authority. Power and authority to do the stuff that he asked us to do and called us to do, amongst a whole lot of other things. In Revelations 1.6, you don't have to go there. If you do, that's fine. We have this reference. He has made us to be kingdom and priests. Sorry. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God, his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. So we have a role to play in this. We are called to serve God and his kingdom. How are we going to do that? For me personally, as a Christian, and I'm talking about myself, remember I owned it up front. I said this is my struggle. So don't feel the judgment or the guilt or whatever else. My struggle. But I feel in the modern world, in this modern context, um, I suppose partly because of the ways of the world and other things like that, but we have spent so much time as kingdom kids focusing on developing ourselves. How can I pray better? How can I spend time in the Word more? How can, how can, how can, how can? And that's good, and that's important. That's part of what this kingdom deal is about. And I think we focus less on going. We focus more on us. Like I said, it's not a bad thing. God calls us into an intimate relationship with us, and He wants to grow us. And we want to grow in Him. But for me, we have to take that from there to actually going out into the world and demonstrating His kingdom, His power, and His authority. So that others like us who used to be in sin, can come to know him and can, can come to experience the freedom that we experience and can, can come to live in the hope that he offers and can come to be, provide solutions for the world that need solutions because the world's a mess. And the answer lies with us, ultimately because it lies with Jesus. And Jesus has come to give us that power and authority to make a difference in the world we live in. Okay. Over and above that, we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit that each one of us have received. Again, not for the exclusive benefit of us, but for the benefit of serving God's kingdom. So many people ask how we can do that, you know, and how do we get into this space? And I don't have enough time to unpack that tonight, but in 2 Corinthians 3.18... Scripture very talks about us positioning ourselves in Jesus. And it's as we position ourselves in Jesus that we become more like Jesus. And for me, we not mean to just be like Jesus on the inside. We have to reflect what's on the inside outwards. We have to. And it can't just be in context of church. John Rimmer used to say, um, we all get to play. The church is where we get to practice. And I don't have enough time to go into the whole vineyard theology around the church and what we are in terms of the body and representing different things. But here in this place is where we get to practice what we need to be doing out there. Yeah? Cool. So 
you know, some of those things are, you know, we can learn to worship, and that's one of our values, and many preachers over the last few Sundays have preached around worship. And then um, I think for me the key about worship is that it's death to self, so that we can be in a place where we can adore him, and it's no longer about us. And then prayer, obviously talking, and maybe more importantly, listening to God. And even more importantly than that, actually asking him what he wants of us on a daily basis. And then having the courage by his power and authority to do it. Um, and then studying God's word. Obviously, write it on our hearts. But it's no good if it's written on your heart and it doesn't change you. Or it doesn't change the world around you. I can wax scripture, but if it doesn't actually take a seed in my life and change who I am, or change the world around me, then it's just another thing that I know off by heart. And then corporate life. Iron sharpens iron. We need to be connected in community so we can support and encourage each other. How am I doing time-wise, Gav? Okay. You don't know. <laughs> okay. So, um, let me ask you some of these questions. Do you believe God can save the lost? Not at me, put your hands up, whatever. Yeah? Cool. Most of you teenagers against the back row along the desk there? Guys like hiding there. I'm going to get some nods and amens from you. Do you believe God can heal people? Okay. Do you believe God speaks to us? Do you believe when God uses us? Do you believe God raises the dead? When last did you raise someone from the dead? Just a question. When last did you speak to someone about Jesus and led them into the kingdom? Talking to myself. Okay. So, I mean, John Wimber, way back when already, highlighted this thing of, and I'm sure there have been many other prominent Christian leaders who have done it, so I'm not claiming anything for John, but, but one of the greatest challenges of the modern church and Christians is we mistake our growth in knowledge. I repeat that. We mis- mistake our growth in knowledge for our growth in character. And we mistake our growth in knowledge for what we actually believe Guys, I struggle with this myself. And I never take lightly the responsibility of preaching. And so often when I do, you know, God hits home hard in my own life around the very things that I preach on. We need to take our knowledge and equate it into action. Our knowledge has to transform who we are. Otherwise, it's meaningless, guys. In context of the kingdom, it's meaningless. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2, and I don't know if I gave that to you, Esther, but maybe you just want to pull it up for me. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says, Be imitators of God. Therefore, as clearly loved children, and live a life of love. What is this life of love? It follows. 
just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And I think in the modern world, we as the church and as Christians, not just, I know I'm generalizing. So there are lots of people who do this stuff. Forgive me, I'm not judging you. There are lots of churches that do this stuff. I just want to highlight a point tonight. We've erred away from the sacrifice part. We've erred away from counting the cost of following Jesus. Because it does cost you to follow him. Jesus died. I think all of the disciples except one died following Jesus. Now that not, may not be your path or my path. But what other costs are we willing to make to follow Jesus? Darren, I want you to stop and help this guy in his car. No, I've got to get to work. Darren, stop, help the guy, because that's God's kingdom mandate for me at that time, to demonstrate his kingdom to that person. And how often we negate that, because we're living life. Okay? Cool. I don't have any funny jokes to make it lighter, but anyway, we'll go with it. Okay, so John Wimber um, often used to have leadership letters, and they were called Reflections. And I just want to take an excerpt from one of those. Um, he says, we must learn to abandon our own predilections. I have to go and look that word up. Okay. So basically, it's, um, it's our special liking of something or our bias towards something. Okay. The things we desire, the safety, the security. That's a big one for us. Hey? We love living in our comfort zones. The safety, the security. The happiness, I mean, I'm, I know I'm always, I, I'm, I'm the happiness guy. I want to live in a happy place. I'm a seven on the Enneagram, and I tend to avoid any bad stuff. But that's a fault of mine. Anyway, things, these things are good in themselves, but they must be set aside for the sake of growth in Christ. If you have to have both success and Jesus you may have trouble in this life. If you have both a perfect marriage and Jesus, you may be in for a hard time. It'll contextualize itself now. If you have both human comfort and Jesus, you might find yourself traveling a rough road. I say this, this is John Wimber, not because, uh, sorry, I say this not because there's anything wrong with success or a perfect marriage or human happiness, I say this because anytime we make anything other than Jesus our portion in life, we open the door to frustration. I am confidently assured that if you do not make Jesus your portion, you'll get Jesus, sorry, if you do make Jesus your portion, you'll get Jesus and much more beside him. But everything else, everything else in life, is secondary. I'm not getting this right, guys. I'm just sharing a message from the Lord, and hopefully he will change me in time as well. Okay? And Matthew 6.33 speaks to that. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. So, I think I'm going to go to land, because I've been talking too long, so I'm going to skip this next section. But I think what's really important to say is that 
as we spend time with Jesus and we allow him to permeate our lives and we transfer that into action, as we look to Jesus and as we grow in his likeness and as we become mature in him, okay, we become more equipped to do kingdom stuff. We are called church. We are called to fulfill Jesus' kingdom purposes here on earth. Let's not kid ourselves. That is a call on our lives. It is clear according to scripture. Dave, interestingly enough, mentioned this this morning in church, and I told Leanne you stole one of my, my sentences. Maybe. Anyway, the church is not the kingdom. The church is here to serve the kingdom. The church is here to serve Jesus. We are here to be obedient to his commands. So, our two core motivations as Christians, citizens of heaven, are to worship the king, repent, believe the good news. So we to worship the king, but simultaneously to that, and I think we get that part really good and really well, but simultaneous to that, we need to be proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom rule and reign on earth with hearts of love and compassion. We need to love the world around us, guys. But we need to do it in a way that they see Jesus. So, let me land with this. A couple of stories. So, on our wedding day, um, I want to see your guys' faces. On our wedding day, um, um, just to demonstrate on the, the four scriptures that I opened with, on our wedding day, um, it's raining, and we're having an outdoor wedding, essentially. My folks, hi folks, I think you're watching. Hello, sis, welcome. Um, we, my folks have got a place where they've got a house and then a big open property next to it, and we were getting married under a gazebo in the property from a legal point of view. You have to be under a aftak, yeah? And then we were going to have the reception up at the house. And it was raining and it was miserable, and my worship team who were my best mates, both of them, were like, Darren, where are we sitting up, inside or outside? I'm like, guys, I don't know. Just give it some time. We, we want to be outside. Darren, time, like, wedding's coming. Where are we sitting up? I'm like, just give me some space. I'll work it out. Eventually, the third time they came to me, I was like, stuff it. Yeah, I said it, sorry. Like, stuff it. And I walked outside, and I said, you know what? Jesus has given us authority over nature. Cool. I'm going to see if this works. <laughs> I stood on the bank, guys, no kidding, and I shouted. I said, God, you've given us authority over nature. In Jesus' name, clear up. And that's all I said. I went to my worship, guys. I said, go and set up outside. They said it was raining. I said, go and set up outside. Five, ten minutes later, it was clear. God gives us authority over nature. Okay. Another one of the stories for me was, um, over time, I've just had privilege to pray for different people and many people. And I remember once, I was in my lounge, and um, this burly friend of mine, freaking big oak, 
nervous to pray for him in case he like deck you a shot because you like do something wrong. But I, he was quite a. I like hugging. He's not one of those oaks. Anyway, so he like said he had a stomach pain. So I said, okay, we'll pray for you. So I asked him nicely, you know, can I touch your stomach in case I get thumped? And I was praying with him, and he started like moaning, hey? And next minute he screamed, like, whoa! And with that, he was fine. And I was like, what the hell just happened? And we had worked out that it was a demonic presence that had left him. And it wasn't, I think the point I'm trying to get to, guys, is this is not about the pastor doing it or some magic evangelist or some prophet. It's just about us being normal human beings available to the presence of God in a natural way. Like, freak, I want a nice wedding. Storm, weather, get lost. And it goes, you know. Sean, be well. Let's pray for healing of you. Lord, come. Healed. Other times I've been praying for people and I get a picture in my head. Desert rose. What the hell? What's a desert rose? I don't even know what a desert, I do now. What's a desert rose? Okay, it's like a little succulent, right? That grows in the desert. It looks like a rose. Really pretty. And I was praying for this guy. And I kept getting this picture of a desert rose. Like, okay, whatever. Desert rose. Tears. I didn't say anything else. Desert rose. Frig. And the oak just starts bawling. God comes, ministers to him, heals him instantly. His life changes from that moment on. Okay? Doing the kingdom. God has called us to take an active part in serving him and advancing his kingdom. I'll close with the story of John Wimbers. I love this story. Shared it with my house church. And if you guys don't give me the same response, I'm not going to preach again. No, Allah, I will. But as best I recall, uh, John Wimber, he's just been to a conference, and he's now flying home from wherever this conference was back to his hometown, and he's in the plane, and by now he's become quite well-versed in, in um, understanding the promptings of the Holy Spirit and being obedient to them. And so he's sitting in the plane, and he's sort of just looking over everyone in the plane like I am now. How's it, Brian? And he keeps coming around and landing on a particular man. And he's like, okay, God, what are you doing? And so God gives him a name of a person. And John's like, okay, cool. Got a name of a person, and I've got a guy. Anyway, this guy's wife gets up to go to the bathroom, and um, John reckons now's his chance. So he scoots off to this guy, sits down next to him, says, how's it? I'm John, da-da-da, and having a chat. And John says to him, does this name mean anything to you? Eyes out on stalks, oaks like hearts pounding through his chest, and like the guy's like, what? How do you know? What, what? And uh, John says, I don't, but you know, I just felt that I needed to share with that from the Lord. Anyway, as it turns out, this man's having an affair. John got given the name of this woman that he's having an affair with. As a result of that, this guy confesses in the plane, gives his life to Jesus. His wife comes back from the toilet. He confesses to his wife in the plane. She's crying. She gives her life to Jesus. And the witnesses that saw it give their lives to Jesus as well. John Wimber calls that power evangelism. We have opportunities every day. Every day. 
as God's kids and as his children to partner with him in changing the world for a better place every day in a natural, unhyped, normal way. My question in closing is what is your story going to be? And how are you going to let Jesus change and transform your life? Amen. James, you ready for us? Worship team. So we're going to go into a time of worship. Um, and sorry, I've taken a bit long in my preach, forgive me, but I got a bit passionate about it. But we're now going to go into time of worship, time of soaking. So my encouragement to each and every single one of you, as this is a safe place, and it's a place where we can practice, if you feel you have a word for someone, guys, Desert Rose, if you have a weird picture and you're not sure, just step out in faith, use a disclaimer, I'm not sure if this is Jesus or not, but I think this is for you, and share the word. And then maybe later on, if there's anyone who feels that they need some healing, we can open up a space to pray for people who are sick, or open up a space to pray for people who want to be interceding on behalf of their friends or family members that don't know Jesus. But I encourage you guys, you have the power of the living God in you. This is not about you. It's not about me. It's simply about being obedient and responding to the Lord as he leads you. Awesome. Go for it, Tamsin.